you're listening to Heart of the Hunter, a serialized fantasy novel set in Koronai, the magical country. This story was written and performed by Sam Chubb. For more information about this podcast, including upcoming role-playing game releases associated with this novel, check out heartofthehunter.com. Now, please enjoy Heart of the Hunter. Chapter 15 The ball of flame surrounded Chandra completely. For a moment after she screamed, she held up her hands. Aran felt sure that she was dead, that the flames had come to claim her life. But the flames did not spread. That was the first indication something was different. I feel... Strange, Chandra said, turning to Alabar, who was backing off from her slowly to avoid being burned. This doesn't hurt. Why did you cry out then? Aran said. It was surprising, but this doesn't hurt. It feels warm, but not painful, Chandra said, looking down at her arms which were on fire. Can you tell it to go away? Alabar asked, shaking a little. She held her hands out and embraced the sphere of flame, eyes focused. I think I can. Feel it change. Change back to the power of magic. Feel it change, Chandra, Arn whispered. She closed her eyes. It was simple, really. She'd already done this. She remembered the day she realized the flames would dance to her tune as if it were yesterday. But she had never sent away so much fire, just controlled it until it burned itself out. Now the fire burned, but this time it was fueled by her spirit. She could feel the power ebbing away from her as every moment passed. She tried to remember what it was like to create the flame, because that was something she did less often. There was a moment, a twinge of energy, that occurred whenever the fire arrived. It was a shiver, a twitch that happened deep in her belly. So, if that felt that way when she brought the flame, what if the fire could be sent away by reversing it? Her hands compressed the flame tighter and tighter, until the ball of fire in her hands was the size of a Yarian blood orange. The fire was concentrated then, the heat a raw thing, the voices hissing in pure hatred of her. "'Have done!' she cried out to them, and with a twist in her gut she felt the fire depart this world. The flame transformed into spirit, the spirit surged into her. All at once she became infused with its power, and the wave rush was nearly too much. Chandra opened her eyes. So that's how it's done, she whispered. She reached out again to the flames, and her friends scattered as another roaring column of flame shrieked from the trees and into her hands, shrinking as it went, boiling as it shrunk in her palms, finally winking out again, and that sense of pure pleasure came flowing through her. She turned to Alabar and smiled. Is there more? 
she asked, her eyes shining. It didn't take long for her magic to take the rest of the fire and convert it to spirit. That's the last of the flames, Chandra. Of the trees that are burned, some may die, but others will heal. I thank you, and the balance thanks you, Kenhill said. He walked over to the dead and dying forest, held up his hands in a quiet blessing, marking their loss, marking their passing. Good, then, Chandra said drunkenly. I felt like this only once before, when I was given a dram of the holy wine for Soliv. Patra, can you please help me? I am so dizzy. Kenhill grabbed her arm on one side and Alabar on the other. Best to rest here, right here, my lady, Arryn said, and swept his knapsack off his back, turning it quickly into a pavilion. Thank you. That's very handy. I'll just rest now, Chandra said, and stumbled into the tent to collapse. I'm sure she'll be fine with a little rest, Alabar said, as Arryn picked the tent up again, and it became a knapsack once more. Let's go back to camp. Raven should be back from scouting soon, and I'll warrant the gypsies will have food for us. Raven reached for the next branch up. Her eyes were fixed on the next one, and she listened for the crackling of the branch upon which she stood. The tree she was in was tall and stood up higher than its fellows due to its roots clutching a slight rise. To the south of her, the plume of smoke that marked the forest fire was worrying, but there was little she could do about that. To the north, however, was another concern. The thick forest broke off rather suddenly. The river road was all but over here. Here, the swamp began to the east and west, and the trees rapidly diminished first to singletons here and there, and finally tapering off to none at all. Beyond the last few trees to the east was the plain. The plain was long and undulating. From her perspective in the tree, it looked like waves of land cascading down from what she knew would be the cold wastes. She remembered the priests in the Temple of Knowledge speaking of this place. The ice and snow kept the place barren, that massive plows of ice came down from the north to lay waste to any forest that began to take over. Here it was clear that the forests and the plains were still locked in their fight. She could not see the river that fed the swamp here, but she did see the swamp's extent. It passed out of her sight to the west. A swollen flood pushed past the western boundary of the swamp and fed the river. That must be the Haas River, the one that eventually emptied into Blackpool Lake. Looking out amongst the plains, however, she saw something that easily worried her. Her eyes picked out first one fire, then another, then another. Many flames, 
and amongst those flames were camps of what could only be an army of some kind. The hares stood up on the back of Raven's neck, although they had a hope of resisting a war band merely out for a raid, there was no way that the small caravan, and yes, even the gypsies, could withstand such a huge force. Raven's mind fell back to the stories of last year's rout. The Sidelian mercenary force was ambushed by a much larger force that seemed to boil up out of the wilderness itself. Could this be that same force? Taking one last look around, memorizing everything she saw, she tried to calm her rapid heartbeat. She forced herself to go just as slowly climbing down the tree as she had gone climbing up it. It wouldn't do to take a fall from this height. She did, however, let go and drop the last fifteen feet. She hit the ground running. She had to get back to Peter. She really needed that beer. Raven came back and shared the news of the encamped tribes. She had run for hours through the brush, run as if her life depended on her making it back to the caravan alive. The ritual face paint she'd been decorated with had been completely obliterated by her efforts. The camp had been hastily arranged because the crew was mostly exhausted. The gypsies had shared a pot of their wunjo stew, some day-old fire-warmed cidle rolls, and a small barrel of Missivote beer, a gypsy specialty. The long night and the stress of the battle and the ride of Vela was starting to take its toll, and all had to eat something to get their wind back. So, how far away do you think we are from them? Peter asked, after handing Raven, among a, after handing Raven her mug of beer. So, how far away do you think we are from them? Peter asked, after handing... Raven, a mug of beer. A day's travel, maybe two, no more, Raven said. Excuse me, Jurgen Coldblood said, getting up suddenly. I have business to attend to, he said, moving off quickly to his wagon. Peter got Raven's attention again with a fire-warmed sidle roll, still sticky with a bit of honey. Uh, troops take longer to get in place than individuals do. And you say the river road is no more? Raven chewed and swallowed, washing it down with a swig of beer. It's been totally eaten by the swamp, I tell you. The river itself flows through the swamp. Kenhill interrupted. I can confirm this, Sergeant. There has been tampering in place to make this happen. He stepped into sight with his wolf friend at his side. Excuse me a moment, but how do we know? We can trust this guy here? He just walked up out of the blue, didn't he? Do you even know him? Raven said, spooning some stew into her bowl. Peter looked at Kennel and turned and offered him the trencher of cidle rolls he'd been toasting. Ah, sorry. So interdictions are in order. This here's Raven, our scout, Master Greenward. This here's Kennel. He's a Greenward, Raven. A scout, too, kinda. Alabar, who had been tucking into his gypsy's stew with a will, stopped to say, They are like 
a guardian of the wilderness raven, a keeper of the bounds, or so the stories say. He looks like a lunar genty grifter to me, one who doesn't bathe very often. Nobody special. Kennel's eyes focused on Raven. As she watched, they turned feral. His hands grew talons. His arms became muscular and hairy. I am not without power, Raven. It would do well for you to show some respect to the forces of nature. Bring it on, my good man. Bring it on, Raven sneered, putting aside her bowl and mug, her hands going to her blade tattoos. Arryn broke the silence with a warning glance at them both. Peace, both of you. Raven, the Greenworts have protected this part of the forest for centuries. They do not serve anyone but themselves. They serve the balance. No gypsy would ever cross one, nor would any gypsy fail in offering assistance to one if they may. At this point, the big wolf got up, walked over to Raven, and began to lick the rest of her face paint off. What the? Raven said, trying to get away, but the wolf placed his paws gently on her lap and further climbed up on her, sniffing her and sampling every bit of bare flesh he could reach, including her face. I think Worrell likes you, Raven, Kenhill said, grinning. He is a wolf of very good taste. Just get him off of me, will you? He smells like guts! His breath stinks because he's been chewing on dead nail tongue, Kennel said. Raven tried her best to fend the giant tail-wagging alpha wolf off, but he would have nothing of it. She finally gave in and began scritching the wolf's pelt, his ears, his neck, trying desperately to escape his licking. The wolf's tail just wagged harder, the sound reminding Arryn of a beaver's tail, slapping the water over and over again. Warl, you shouldn't give the bitch so much attention. Your other women will be jealous, Kennel said, and he stopped, grinning with his tongue lolling, and gave her one more lick before coming back to sit next to the green ward. Kennel threw her a camp towel. That for his uh, blessing on you, Mistress Raven. I'm sorry, he usually isn't so demonstrative, really. Raven wiped the wolf's slobber off with a towel, and then she got up, approached the green ward, and stood there in front of him. You can't tell me. You and yours don't have some kind of agenda here. I'm not some kind of slack brain. I didn't stay alive this long by putting my head in a bucket. Sit down, Raven. Your hot food's getting cold, and your cold drink's getting warm. Peter said, smiling handing her her food and beer from around the circle. I trust the green wards. They're a fair outfit. Never did us wrong in the border wars. After finishing his own sidle roll, the Lunargenti man nodded. Though, indeed, Raven, what you say is true. Me and mine, we have an agenda. You may have noticed that things aren't in balance here. The swamp, for example, simply should not be. For several winters past... The swamp's waters have not frozen, for example. This close to the cold wastes? That itself is a cause for alarm. 
but the swamp has remained unfrozen, and as a result it stays here and fosters all manner of life not meant to be here, either. Why is that? What could possibly cause this to happen? Alabar asked. Magic, preacher. Pure and simple. To be specific, spirit magic. There is one named Ulin. She is a shaman of the marsh, half-nail herself. Me and mine would have nothing to do with her normally. Even the nail fit their place in the weaving of life. But she has placed herself outside the natural order. And she has created an aberration in the natural fabric. As a result, yes, me and mine are very interested in putting a stop to her. Why not just go to the swamp, find her, and take her out? Peter asked. Simple hunt and destroy. The warrior Darwin came this way last spring and tried to do just that. The very swamp rises in her defense. And she has cultivated a few nail tribes to her yoke, swearing them fealty like some kind of queen. And that's why the river road was shut down. But that would hardly please the masters. They hate anything that interrupts commerce, Raven said. I don't know about gangs in the cities, but her aberration here in the woodlands has gone too far now to be ignored for much longer. Normally, Nail will end up fighting one another. It is their way. So the idea was to let them battle it out among themselves, to watch and wait for a natural solution to present itself. But, Alabar spoke up, that just provided her with more time to shore up her power base. She, she keeps the nail from fighting each other. Kenhill smiled. Yes, preacher, you see it clear. They are all more afraid of her than they hate each other. Peter nodded. All right, tell me this. How is one green ward and a pack of wolves going to take care of this problem? Kenhill looked up at Peter. You said before, rightly, that green wards are scouts. Don't worry, Sergeant. When the time comes, there will be ample allies. The balance will provide the necessary assistance. Peter nodded. In the meantime, we have two nail armies waiting for us along our intended path. Arn smiled. As to that, I think we should follow the gypsies for a while longer. They will head northwest along a spirit path. It will take us to the Lunasa River, crossing into Lunarjan. We can travel up the March Warden roads in Lunarjan to the wastes, and from there to Irontown. You go into Lunarjanti lands, then. If a border patrol sights you, they may ask for tenskra. Taxes, Kenhold warned. Peter thought about this for a moment. That's a risk we'll have to take. The factor won't be happy, but... <sighs> I'm starting to doubt whether he'll ever be happy. Kenhill cleared his throat. You should let me help you. Here, Sergeant. For your crew's assistance in the fire, I offer you this, Kenhill said, offering up a silver token. Peter took the silver coin offered him. And just what is this, sir? 
A token of free passage is crafted for each of the Lunagenti noble families along the border, given to the sons and daughters of that house to allow them to wander with impunity across the borderlands. Along with it comes a promise of hospitality as well. You can trust that I came by it honestly, and it will serve you as well as I. Honestly, eh? Raven asked sardonically. Scout's honor, the Green Ward said, smiling. Raven scoffed. Kenhill's eyebrow went up. Aren't you a scout, too? Well, at least you're not asking us to take on that nasty swamp witch. It's not our job, and we've had enough in the way of side trips, I think, Raven said, crossing her arms. Actually, if it weren't for the factor, and now Chandra... I'd be all for going hunting in the swamp. I know these nail. They'll never stop. Never. Until they have their sacred gaku, Peter said. Actually, as to that, may I have a word, Sergeant? The Green Ward said, following Peter out to where the horses were. Yeah, you may. I gotta check this team out. Look at their hooves, so what not, before we move on again? We can talk while I work. Kenhill nodded. Very well. I was wondering about something. Do you quarrel with the balance? The balance? I don't take your meaning. What do you mean? There are those of us who seek balance in all things. The darkness and light. The winter balances the summer. Rain balances sun. Everything exists within these two extremes. There is also a balance between peoples. If one family is hungry, and the other family is well-fed, resentment blooms. Peter nodded. Sounds like a religious? I ain't much for religious, Scout. I mean, I got bathed by the light when I was a wee one, like all mean brothers and sisters. But that were a long time ago. I ain't set foot in a temple in a dog's age. I represent a group of people. People who wish only to preserve the balance. We are not all of the same religion, nor are we even of the same heritage. In fact, we are like the strands of a web. One strand of silk alone does nothing, but united and set to a purpose, we are strong. Yeah, but uh, what do you do, if you take my meaning? We are all like kin, each of us to the other. We do what we can. It just strikes me that you, alone among your crew, would understand our needs and our goals. You have seen what happens when the Tangresh grow out of control in the border wars. You have seen what happens when there is plague and famine. You keep a clean camp. Your horses are well tended to. Oh, aye. Well, that's just common sense now, really, isn't it? Common sense is not common in my experience, Sergeant. Uh, I suppose you're right. The Brotherhood, of which I am a part, would ask you to join if you are interested. We do not compel membership, nor do we ask all we come into contact with. But we do keep our presence from the lawgivers of the land, from the Lord Knights, the City Fathers, and the gangsters, because we know... They would actively oppose us should they know we exist. 
you do stand against the hard tech knights, do you? That'd be one point in your favor. The night lords have taken more power than is their right. They work their people hard, feed them nothing but flour and water, and expect things to flourish. When they turn to punish their folk, they deliver hateful wounds and further prevent them from doing good work. What part of that is in balance? None of it, I say. Peter nodded. Oh, aye, you've got it right there, Greenward. They've taken the borderlands of Yar and made it their personal playground. And you say these brothers of yours, they oppose that? We do what we can to feed the hungry there. We expose those villainous lords to justice where we can. But we all work according to our own conscience and belief, and there are many who do not believe in the taking of life to promote justice. Aye, well, sometimes. There ain't no other choice, in my humble opinion. The Green Ward nodded, as our nail-tongue friends have taught us. Peter nodded. I don't have no coin to pay a due, but I suppose I'll subscribe to your brotherhood ways. I'll give my support to where I can to you. Peter touched the stone on the thong around his neck and gave a little tug. For a moment, Peter thought he had pulled it off his neck, but it still clung there when his hand passed by. The green ward held out his hand, palm up and open, a river stone pendant, almost twin to the one he wore, lay there. That's a neat trick, Peter said, but Kennel just shook his head and asked, Will you uphold the balance, as you may? Will you swear? Peter looked at him, his throat tight in that moment. Not knowing what to think about it, he had to go with his gut, with what his intuition told him about this man and the words he had spoken. Aye, I will, Peter said softly, and the green ward placed the thong around Peter's neck. Be welcome to the Brotherhood of the Stag, Peter Goldpond. Kenhill sent to him, magically, through his connection to the Brotherhood. For a moment, Peter thought he heard cheering, but it wasn't cheering, not in any audible sound. It was just a feeling of rejoicing throughout the Brotherhood that the stag had called another to his side. For a moment, he felt all of them, and he was surprised that they were not all men as he thought. But they, male and female, all had the stag, the many-tined lord of the forest, as their brother. When he looked down at his neck, he saw no river stone on a thong, but a silver acorn hanging from a chain. Looking at Kennel, he spotted a silver oak-leaf pendant. This is magic, Peter said. Of a kind. Does it concern you? No, it's fine. I just, uh, I didn't. Well, is it gonna give my position away? Not this kind. Spirit magic. Well hidden. Like raven statues? Yes. Exactly like those. I see. Well, so now what do I do? 
there is nothing the brotherhood would ask you do, except to go forth and do that which you would do. We will be in touch, should there be something you may help us with. Good luck with your nailed tongues, Greenboard. I only wish I could go with you. There will be ample help in the fight, Peter. I only hope you can get you and yours out of here before this place is overrun. Well, we'd best get started then, shall we? Peter grinned. I could use some help getting this fire safe out and the rest of the stuff picked up, if you don't mind. I don't mind a bit, Kennel said, grinning back. In the midst of the wagons, not far from where Peter stood, there came a groaning sound of metal fatigue and the heavy thud of a weight hitting the ground. Just what the hell are you doing, Factor? I wish to jettison this thing. It's far too heavy, and it will slow us down when we rush to avoid the nail. Just what is that? Raven asked, peering at the load that had been strapped beneath the wagon. It looks like a millstone? Peter shook his head. Aye, it looks as heavy as one. Perhaps you're right, Factor. There'll be other millstones, right? If this one is left here, no bother. I assure you, this is in perfect keeping with our mandate, Sergeant. We have already wasted too much time. I want to be away, as far away from this place as we can, from those disgusting nail tongues. For once, Factor, I'm in complete agreement with you. You've been listening to Heart of the Hunter, a Coronai Chronicles story. Heart of the Hunter is brought to you by the Fireheart Foundry family of podcasts. Fireheart Foundry also produces Fledgling, a Leaden Universe science fiction novel by Sharon Lee and Steve Miller. The Bears Grove Podcast. Dragonkin, the podcast for kids and gaming. The Square One Podcast. And Vibrant Living. Find out more about the Fireheart Foundry at fireheartfoundry.com. This podcast is brought to you under a Creative Commons Attribution, No Derivatives, No Commercial Use, License 2.5. Music is provided by the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening, and we invite you back to our fire real soon.